0: in a world where one man brings you an inspiring, powerful podcast to help you elevate your state of health, energy, and overall life performance. Welcome to the Elevate Your State Show with your host and fellow health hacker, T.J. Anderson.
1: And we're live again, my friends. Welcome to the next episode of the Elevate Your State Show. I am your host, TJ Anderson, and boy, do we have a great episode for you today. Today, I'm joined by a really, really smart man, uh, and I'll just go ahead and get into the bio right now, but we cover all things genetics. Alex Swanson is the founder of Nutrition Genome and creator of the software Genetrician. He is a second-generation nutritionist and co-owner of Swanson Health Center a private family clinical nutrition practice that has been in business for over 40 years. He is also the creator of the popular blog, The Health Beat, and he has worked as a personal trainer, private chef, and ran a global clinical nutrition practice for 12 years with a focus on mental health, athletic performance, cancer, cardiovascular health, hormone optimization, and digestive health. Alex has a post back in Nutrition Scientist's, from Bastyr University in Washington State, an MS in Applied Nutrition and Business Entrepreneurship from Northeastern University, a Certificate in Methylation and Clinical Nutrigenomics, and a Certificate in Genetics and Genomics from Stanford University. And if any of that felt a bit over your head, that's okay. We're diving into the basics today so you can understand how to make sense of and ultimately optimize your genetics so that you can live the happiest healthiest life possible so uh, welcome to the show we're going to go ahead and dive in and take notes do know that the show notes will be available over at elevateyourstate.co but enjoy all right my friends this is tj anderson and welcome to another episode of the Elevate Your State Show. Today, I've got a great guest. This is uh, a very specialized, very important show. I'm joined with Alex Swanson, the founder of Nutrition Genome. So Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. You know, you've come really highly recommended, both you and your company, to someone that I like, love, and respect big time, who I've had on the show previously, Dr. Nasha Winners. So, shout out to you, Dr. Winners. Uh, if you haven't checked out her episode, you can find it at elevateyourstates.co. But today, um, we're going to be diving into the topic of genetic testing. What does that field look like? What is epigenetics? And then uh, specifically the the role you guys are playing at Nutrition Genome. So before we kind of dive into your company and where you're at now, I'd love to hear your own personal and professional story to give context for our listeners. Uh, You know, everyone listening to this, uh, you know, they're either interested in getting on the health hacking path or they've been on it for a little while and they're looking to take it to the next level. You know, so what's your personal health hacking journey look like for you, Alex?
2: Yeah, so um, I had a unique experience of uh, being born into a family where my mom was a nutritionist. And so from day one forward, I, I've been involved in this field. Um, I've seen kind of all the different uh, variations of it through, through the decades. And um, my mom was one of those people that was, you know, kind of standing alone in the crowd nutrition and talking about things that no one was talking about yet, which has now become much more mainstream. And uh, I got involved in her practice uh, in my 20s and got a lot of uh, um, experience in terms of of really serious cases um, of people who've been really sick and the power of nutrition um, for helping people turn their life around. And that made a huge influence on me. And uh, I started doing Consultations myself uh, after finishing up school, and I started bringing in genetics about six years ago um, when this was this field kind of started emerging with these different software programs that could read files, um, these these DNA text files, and kind of give you some insight into people's genes. And it was fascinating to me because it felt like this kind of cheat code to your health, where all of a sudden you're finding out things about yourself that you. I don't know how else you would discover. Um, And I said it was intuitively. And that's what a lot of genetics does is it kind of gives you a confirmation of intuition of things you kind of knew about your own health. And I started looking at family history. I started looking at um, personal history, genetics, and blood work, and there's patterns would emerge when you'd see things crop up in families. And I started realizing that this is something that you could use proactively to prevent things that were happening in your family. Genes were not your destiny, they're your blueprint. That's something we always say in Nutrition Genome, and it became very clear that that was true as more research came out. And, uh, and it's such an empowering feeling knowing that, okay, I can reverse these things I see in my family and for the next four generations. Um, and I think uh, as this field starts to grow, that's, prevention's gonna become more and more uh, of a common idea. Um, Whereas I still think it's not something people—it's not on your radar unless something's wrong with you. But I think as we start to look at longevity and people really trying to live to a hundred and all these ideas, it's—it's going to become more and more common,
1: or beyond, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and and yes, we talk about longevity for quantity of years, but also quality, right? And optimizing performance, and you know that's a big focus for our listeners, and and uh, so you have your personal story, you. Uh, in terms of how you got kind of started with this and with your mother and kind of getting into the, the research and this field of, of DNA and, uh, the role of, you know, not just, uh, you know, reactive, but preventative, you know, that's where we're moving. That's where our healthcare system, is, you know, the, the solution is a, a, a preventative revolution, if you will, is what I like to say. And, um, So you know, in in terms of optimizing overall performance, both mental, physically, you know, uh, through genetic testing specifically, that's what I'm, you know, really curious about. So this field of genetic testing, you know, I've mentioned inside of my book um, the the role of Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, his work in uh, bringing to light where we're at now in this field of epigenetics which from what I understood, can easily be described as this. Just because you have a cancer gene doesn't mean it has to be turned on, but it's your lifestyle, environment, et cetera, that, that supports the expression or lack, of, lack thereof of, of a gene. Is that like one way you would describe epigenetics?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the most exciting part of the field is this understanding that it's flexible. You know, the genes, the signals are flexible. They're changing all the time. And uh, that can have a major impact on disease risk. Um, It's things we kind of knew about diet and exercise and stress um, and trauma and things like that. But then understanding how do we target solutions towards that? What genes are we really trying to go after and express better? Where are our susceptibilities as individuals to these certain things? And that's what genetics kind of funnels in and shows you this is where you need to focus. It's not like you no shotgun approach anymore. It's really kind of this, okay, this is just for me. This is what's gonna work. 100%.
1: Yeah, I love the quote in terms of, you know, they're not your destiny, your genetics are not your destiny, they're your blueprint. And so they can be impacted, they could be influenced. Um, so um, in our field right now, you know, I, I, I've also like heard that we're all, we're, we're kind of barely scratching the surface with genetic testing which isn't necessarily like a bad thing it just is what it is like this is where we're at where we're at um that doesn't mean that there 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 isn't you know validated information in studies but in terms of all of these genes like some of the genes just have like a one or two or no papers on them right in terms of studies but like others then have a lot so i'm curious um, for our listeners and 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 for me you know, you're someone that that uh, you know personally and professionally. You know, your company, Nutrition Genome, um, explain for people then exactly how Nutrition Genome um, works a little bit, because mm-hmm. you know a lot of people might be familiar with 23andMe, which is a company I highlight inside of my book. Uh, that's who I went through originally, and they were one of the first and only kind of major options out there for people. Um, to get all your raw data from. And so what I did after that was then send it to like a third party to make sense of that data. Uh, Genetic Genie is who I used. And then that spit out like this report that told me, you know, ha- I had like different colors of like green, red, and yellow in terms of like, which ones <clears throat> have a heterozygous <clears throat> or a homozygous mutations. And which ones were important for me to analyze and maybe, you know, influence and support. So I, for our listeners, like how is nutrition genome different from other typical, you know, other genetic testing companies that are out there, for instance, 23andMe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so like, when did you actually start this company?
2: Um, yeah. And I have to give a lot of credit uh, to 23andMe and Genetic Genie for putting this on the map. I mean, for putting genetics on the map. They did an unbelievable job of getting this, making this become more mainstream, which it needs to, because then it attracts more research. Um, what, uh, you know, when I was first using 23ME files and using third-party software programs, there's a few things that I found were lacking, and that's why I ended up creating my own, um, to make my job easier. But, um, you know, in the very beginning, there was a ton of fear. Around genetic testing, and you saw those like bright red, you know, and yellow, uh, homozygous, heterozygous. You're like, oh no, what do I have? What's <laughs> yeah. going to go wrong? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And like that was, I remember my impression. I saw like red on that. I'm like, oh no, what does this mean? And I wanted to re- kind of remove that stigma of it because as we got more research and more understanding, we started to see one, this doesn't mean this is you know your destiny, as we talked about. Um, but two, there's a lot of trade-offs to heterozygous homozygous even wild type variants and so there's always kind of be these pros and cons that are being uh, weighted and then those are weighted against multiple genes in the pathway but to kind of get back where i started with nutrition genome was i wanted to try to make it easier to understand for people i wanted to organize it in a way that made more sense Um, instead of having these isolated genes i wanted to put them in together into a pattern and so we created all these sections digestion uh, methylation, hormones, neurotransmitters, and mental health, uh, cardiovascular, and exercise, DNA repair, and something that kind of read like a, a mini book on yourself. And if you were to try to break down your every section of your your health, not just athletics, you know, not just uh, digestion, but let's look at everything and then put it together into something that makes sense. That's what we're aiming to do, and it's it's a challenge because it's a there's a ton of research, and you have to try to, you know, make it palatable for people where they can really take something from it and not get overwhelmed and, and not freak out, you know, when they get the results. Um, And so our goal is to really make this as easy as possible, but also as comprehensive, comprehensive and scientific. um, So that you're not losing anything in terms of the understanding of the influence um, that these genes may have.
1: Comprehensive and scientific. I love it. And, and in terms of your approach, I mean, you have nutrition in the name. And so I think that might may suggest that you like to folk have an extra focus in terms of how nutrition how supplementation uh, might play a really big factor and role into these categories, um, which I love. And so we're going to get into that and and we're going to get into all of those categories. Uh, And, uh, I'm, I'm also curious in terms of like, uh, you know, what are maybe some example genes that we can talk about specifically that are important for people to, uh, consider. So let's just start with, um, maybe like exercise and movement, for instance. Um, is there a genetic reason, for instance, that people are attracted to different types of exercise or are there, are there basically genes that might show that how how you might do better with certain types of movement um, wh- where are we at in terms of our uh genetics related to to exercise
2: and this is really a new way of thinking about exercise um, you know we we think about how exercise influences our mood um, and how you know you feel better after some people need to go on a run to clear their head you know we have simple ideas like that but i think there's a lot more to it I think there's a reason we're driven to do certain things physically, um, and it's not just an outlet, a physical outlet. I think we're actually trying to balance our neurotransmitters, and there are certain people that fall in certain categories. I think for a reason, and I think genes are playing a role in that. Like whether you're you're attracted to running or triathlons or yoga or weightlifting or risk taking activities. Um, you start to see patterns again as to why people fall in these categories and it makes them feel balanced. Uh, An example gene would be uh, COMT. Uh, V158M is the the main one, has a ton of research on it. And there are, so you have your three types. You have a wild type, which is the most common in the population. It's also called normal sometimes, but normal is a little misleading. You have heterozygous and you have homozygous. And what that means is that a heterozygous, you have a, a one variant from one mom, from one parent, mom or dad, and a homozygous is you have two copies of a variant from mom and dad. And for COMT, that changes the enzyme function in terms of how fast or how slow you're metabolizing uh, dopamine, adrenaline, uh, estrogen, and catecholamines. And catecholamines are compounds found in coffee, uh, chocolate. Uh, citrus, bananas, green tea, black tea and so you often seem accompanied with caffeine. And depending on your genotype, not only are you going to respond differently to dietary catecholamines, but you are going to find balance in exercise. The the, uh, fast metabolizer would be the wild type of COMT. They're breaking down dopamine and adrenaline a lot faster than the other two types. And what that means is the dopamine concentrations are likely going to be a little lower, and you're going to need to do more things to elevate them to feel focused and more balanced. So when you see people who are very into extreme sports, risk-taking activities, you're going to find a high percentage of people with ADD and ADHD, often with low dopamine. And for them, when they go and do big wave surfing, they go snowboard a giant mountain, they're jumping off cliffs, to them, that's actually calming to their brain, that's a balance, in fact. Whereas another person, it's overwhelming, it's too stressful, that's too much. And that is what started to really pique my interest in this idea of how to use exercise as therapy um, for mental health, mm-hmm. or just even just general maintenance of your neurotransmitters. On the opposite side of that spectrum, you have the slow metabolizers, of COMT. And these people are gonna have that higher dopamine, higher adrenaline already. And there are characteristics of both that are different. What's so fascinating is so that the people that have higher dopamine, higher adrenaline, they tend to be more creative. Uh, they tend to have better executive function, better focused on certain tasks or you know, isolated tasks, but they over respond to stress. When they get stressed, they get irritable really easy, angry easy. They can't focus. They can't be like bothered, you know. Um, whereas that other side of that spectrum, like they may actually perform better in stressful states because that stress is elevating the dopamine, and now they can focus. They're the people that are calm in a crisis. Right. So for the people that are these high dopamine adrenaline naturally, weightlifting is going to be amazing for them because that testosterone boost that you get. Is actually going to speed that enzyme up and break down the dopamine and adrenaline faster. It's also how magnesium works for lowering stress. Okay, let's
1: let's pause for a second. So we've gone over um, so far. We just talked about one gene example, and as it relates to exercise, and this is the C O M T gene. Mm -hmm. And 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 I remember this one as being really important, but I don't remember having discussion related to like exercise with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the three types, the wild or normal is, is that the slow metabolizer or the fast? So that's, that's the fast fast one. That's the fast. And then which one is the slow? And so if you're fast metabolizer, that means your levels are lower because you go through it
2: quicker. Yeah. You're, you're going, you're breaking it down faster, right?
1: Gotcha. And so
2: the slower metabolizers, which one is that the hetero or the homo? That'd be the homozygous. And then, and then the heterozygous would be kind of intermediate. They tend to be a little on the higher dopamine, but not as high as the homozygous. Interesting. The heterozygous of the COMT is,
1: is intermediate. Mm -hmm. I would have thought that like the normal would have been intermediate. Um, yeah, and, it depends. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think I'm, I'm thinking of maybe my experience on another gene, which we'll get to, and that's the APOE gene mm-hmm. in terms of how well you metabolize saturated fats. So open loop, we'll come back to the APOE gene. If you're inter- interested in customizing your nutrition, that is our next topic. So movement. All right. So we've got the COMT gene and, and your example of like those that are attracted to these extreme activities of surfing and you know, rock climbing and just crazy stuff, stuff that makes me think of like the, the work that uh, the Flow Genome Project are doing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with with them, um, Jamie Wheel and uh, Stephen Kotler. I think uh, it's just now Jamie that's running uh, the Flow Genome Project. But um, uh, this is fascinating in terms of customizing um, movement. So is there... Okay. So you've got, you've got these three different variants of this one gene, uh, slow metabolizers, fast metabolizers, and then intermediate. Um, so your particular test that you run, um, you, you're able to tell people exactly then like which one they are of those three.
2: Yeah. You'll get your genotype. Um, and I recently just wrote about this, uh, this idea of how to use exercise on these different genotypes um, on nutrition genome under our blog. Uh, but yeah each one you're given your genotype and that understanding of what increases gene function and what decreases gene function. So every gene has that idea so you understand this benefits it this will make it work you know a little less efficiently. Um, and that's really helpful from a diet standpoint exercise, stress. Um, I feel like understanding how people respond to stress, not only yourself, but in a relationship, your friends, people you work with, if you understand their stress response, you're going to be able to deal with them a lot easier. You're going to understand them on another level. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So,
1: okay. So you were able to maybe customize our approach to movement. You had the example of weightlifting. So those that are, uh, was it slow
2: metabolizers? Yeah, have a higher dopamine and adrenaline to begin with. Okay. Weightlifting is going to help lower that response because testosterone influences COMT, so does estrogen. And that little boost is going to help kind of really – if you feel like your brain just felt like you just finally calmed down, you chilled out after weightlifting, that's your response. You're feeling what it's like for dopamine and adrenaline to come back down a little bit.
1: Got it. I've I've had that feeling. I'll have to pull up my – my uh, report and see which of those variants I have. So that's one yeah. example there uh, in terms of customizing your approach to movement specifically. Um, you were bringing up magnesium uh, when I interrupted you. Let's go back to that.
2: So magnesium is a, a cofactor for COMT, and what that means is it it influences that pathway um, in that it kind of helps modulate the response. So you hear a lot about magnesium and stress um, and magnesium, you know, and adrenaline and dopamine. It's, so it's influencing that, that pathway. That's how it's helping. Um, it also influences testosterone levels. Uh, vitamin C is also one that plays a role with COMT and, and it modulates dopamine levels as well, low and high. It kind of helps put you in the middle a little bit. Uh, copper is also a cofactor. So copper that's too high or too low can really dramatically influence it and so can heavy metals, lead and mercury in particular, can really disrupt that gene. And so what's important, or that enzyme, what's important for people to know is that despite your genotype, you have heavy metal toxicity, um, you have really low magnesium, you can go any way on that spectrum too.
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, So speaking of uh, well, first, does it, does it matter the form of magnesium? So, when you say cofactor, you mean these are yeah. important factors that can make a difference, whether like good or bad on each end of the spectrum.
2: It's yeah. So, it's an actual cofactor for the enzyme to work properly. Got it. And you'll That's find great. that with a lot of the, the genes yeah. that encode for enzymes and require these certain nutrients to work properly. And so, people can be more sensitive to lower levels, right, um, for those genes that require higher higher intake to essentially work properly. And that goes into a whole other story of why that is. We won't go into that right now, but there's historical ancestral reasons for that. Got it.
1: Does it matter the form of magnesium? Like like maybe, like like uh, from what I've heard um, in terms of stress response, uh, magnesium, magnesium glycinate is the best for stress and magnesium threonate is the best for like brain health.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of different versions. Um, I've had the most uh, success with magnesium malate or a malate-glycinate combination. Uh, citrate's going to work.
1: Is particular gene
2: or just overall? Um, it, overall, um, depending on what you're trying to do, I mean, typically it's for people um, who are, you know, athletic or exercising quite a bit, um, kind of have a high-stress job. That too seems to work together well for muscle uh, relief um three and eight yeah it's good for for brain health um citrate is going to be more for people who struggle with constipation um and then i'm thinking of there's other form as well um the one you want to avoid uh, blanking on it it's only like four percent of it it's absorbed it's a very common one um that will come to me later but you'll see it sure. yeah it's, it's a cheap form of magnesium and it's it's really um when you want to boil, it'll come to me a little bit. Cool, later. cool. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So, awesome. Uh, is it Taurate? It's not Taurate. Torate's fine. Okay. That's so, good for cardiovascular health.
1: Yeah. So, what am I... I mean, yeah, I mean...
2: Oxide. Oxide.
1: Oxide is the one to avoid. Okay. So, in terms of different supplement options for magnesium, yes, we can get it in food. And, um, you know, supplements can be really valuable. Um, do you have any favorites? I have my favorites. But before I... May, I'll share my...
2: Do you have any favorite like companies that make a great magnesium? Um, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of companies make just magnesium malate, um, but I know that Source Naturals does. Okay, um, they're one um, that I've used. I've used a, you know a lot. I don't have any ones more than others, but that one seems to be a consistent uh, positive one that I've seen. Cool,
1: cool, awesome. Yeah, I'm thinking about you know the popular one, Calm. Magnesium, mm-hmm. all magnesium citrate. citrate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's specifically good for those that are constipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to back off that one. I don't know that I need that as much. <laughs> yeah. um, but the other one I really like is from Natural Stacks, uh, which has therinate, glycinate, and taurate. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice combo. Um, cool. Well, so we'll link these in the show notes. Uh, so again, we'll have the show notes, my friends, over at Elevate Your State. Co, that's where you can uh, get all the notes and all the links of everything we're talking about in today's episode. And we're going to be going through a lot. We've already started to cover, uh, we've really scratched the surface, but we've gotten deep in, into these topics so far. And so if you want to check out um, all the notes of everything that's Elevate we will also be linking to go learn more about nutrition genome over at that page. So, okay. So that's the COMT gene. And, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, we could talk more on that, but another important gene that is getting, uh, and for good reason, lots of good press and, and, or like focus in the medical, like, like the functional medicine community is optimizing for the MTHFR gene within the methylation cycle. So uh, let's, let's kind of break that down. What, how would you describe the methylation cycle and, and um, what that really means? And it's also a category that you focus on. It's the first, it's the second category. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, I think like nine or 10 different categories in your report that you provide for people. Let's break down the methylation cycle. What is that and why is it important? Sure. Yeah.
2: Methylation is kind of what a lot of this genetic testing was built upon. Um, And it's this idea that that these methyl groups, you know, from our diet are turning on and turning off genes. And that's influencing everything under the sun, you can imagine, in your body. And so there are different requirements um, based on these different genetic variants for people on how many methyl groups are required how much folate and choline. So folate and choline are both methyl donors. And uh, we have found that there can be a, a dramatic difference in terms of requirements for those. And this becomes especially important during pregnancy, where you see a lot of uh, epigenetic imprints occurring uh, during this time, kind of setting up, you know, your life. And so we we put a lot of emphasis on pregnancy and understanding methylation for that reason. Know your folate requirements, know your choline requirements. Um, B6, B12, betaine, all of those are also important. Um, and so we look at all the genes related to everything in this kind of, think of a circular cycle that's recycling uh, homocysteine and it's reducing, and homocysteine is a, um, you know, it's a byproduct that's, that can be inflammatory when too high and it's, coordinating um, the balance of homocysteine levels while doing all of these other things with your neurotransmitters, with your immunity, um, with your energy, with your focus, all of these things. And MTHFR had had become one of the the biggest genes of focus because of the research available, but because uh, it appeared to be very clinically relevant in terms of homocysteine. And again, it's another one that brought a lot of fear you know, people would, would come back and say, I have the MTHFR mutation, something's wrong with me. And then you were starting to realize, like, wait a second, a lot of people have a heterozygous, you know, variant in this, um, or, you know, even homozygous. And it's not that scary. You just have to understand, like, okay, why, why do people have these variants? Where is this coming from? Is there something wrong, or is there actual, you know, an ancestral significance here. And I think there is. I think when you start to look at migration patterns, just like other genes, why you have a higher need for omega-3s or a higher need for vitamin D, choline, all of these things, look at your migration patterns of your ancestors. It's likely because of the frequency of these genotypes being in locations where there's higher folate plants growing, more Mediterranean, there's likely a variant that happened there um, that adapted to this higher folate intake. And now you got put into a place where maybe you're not eating as much folate or you're in a different climate, but your body still thinks it requires it or it does require it. And MTHFR says you need you know, a higher amount of riboflavin to stabilize the enzyme, B2, and methylfolate to essentially bypass this enzyme and increase that, mes- that methylation cycle for working better. And that's really all there kind of is to do that. Um, I think a lot of the things that have come out about it have been unnecessarily fearful when it's just like we should look at it like many other genes that were like higher requirements, stabilize the enzyme, know what affects it.
1: Got it. And if any of that is over your head, that's okay, my friends. And that's why you pay someone that specializes in understanding and helping you make sense of it. And this is a start. And so we're speaking in generalities here. And if we were to have you on the line here and going through your actual report, we'd be able to have specificity customized with Alex's knowledge of this. And, um, and so, you know, I think that's why that, that's pretty important for people to to understand, you know, your background and and professionally and, and you may, so, we learned in the introduction. Um, let's, let's kind of rewind a bit, you know, your background in, in this space and working with clients and patients. Uh, so you've been a co-owner and second generation nutritionist for Swanson health center, which is a private family clinical nutrition practice, uh, in Oregon. Is that right?
2: Um, so that actually is in California, but I'm in Oregon, but you're in Oregon. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Uh, so, you know, wh- why is it important or, or how can you, how would you suggest someone to consider building their healthcare team? Um, you know, if, if someone's interested in getting, you know, customized, uh, up, I always like to say, if you want to optimize, optimize, you need to focus, you need to first customize, like customize to optimize. And so in terms of building an all-star healthcare team to provide the customization that will lead to optimization, what tips would you have for people? Like if they're interested in getting, you know, your, their full genetics done through nutrition genome and having clear guidance, yes, they can get a report directly, but in terms of making sense of it and taking action, what are some tips you recommend for people uh, in terms of you know, really sourcing a great
2: team? Yeah. So we, um, we have quite a few practitioners that we refer to through Nutrition Genome who have you know gone through our uh, training, and uh, we have a lot that you know have experience um, who just refer their, their patients to us, and you know they come back and they sit down with them. And really, what the practitioners utilize, and this is what individuals can too, but practitioner helps you dig a lot deeper. Is that in the beginning of your report we do a snapshot of your of your entire uh, analysis and that's in the strengths and weaknesses so you could literally just look at the first two pages and get a synopsis on okay these are my genetic strengths these are my genetic weaknesses how do i turn those weaknesses into strengths and that's how we show. this is what we show you how to do it and so a practitioner can help really navigate that by knowing your family history knowing your personal history knowing your blood work Um, And being like, this is a plan of action. This is how we do it. And it can make it pretty simple for you to implement. Mm.
1: Awesome. So family history, personal history, like recent, like advanced blood work. And then all of those three things um, basically overlaid with your genetic report. So at the beginning of the report, you get clear bullet points and and tips for each of these categories, digestion, methylation, hormones, neurotransmitters, antioxidants and inflammation, detoxification, et cetera. Um, And then you, including athletic performance and cardiovascular as well, which I love. So those are, you have like strengths laid out on one page and then weaknesses. And so you're saying you have, you refer, you've got practitioners then that have gone through a training that Mm -hmm. your company offers? Yeah. And then you refer out to
2: them sometimes? We have a list uh, on the website of people who have completed the training. And so people can just go right to that list. Cool, so what does that training include? Uh, The training includes uh, the entire report um, and a a deeper dive for practitioners into how to interpret it, Mm. um, to understand the research, how to put it into practice. And so they're familiar with the whole report um, and then they take an exam, actually, at the end. And so the training's actually free. For any practitioner that wants to sign up, it's free. It's that the exam that we charge for. And that allows you to be listed on the website. What is the cost of the exam?
1: $249. Cool, cool. So for $250, you can go through a training for free and test out and get an exam and be one of your recommended practitioners.
2: Mm-hmm. Are there right.
1: minimum like training requirements to be listed on that, like prior to going through the training in terms of like – Professional accreditation, et cetera.
2: Yeah, yeah. We um we do require, you know, we have MDs, we have NDs, um, we have uh chiropractors or DOs. And then anything lower than that, there needs to be a master's degree or higher um, in you know, nutrition or related science field. Got it. L- love it. So
1: you're getting high quality people that have deep experience in this. Right. Awesome. Wow. All right. So that's, those are some tips on, uh, you know, how to consider finding, you know, someone that has an experience with, with reading and understanding your genetic report to give you deeper guidance and action on it. Uh, you know, I've got lots of, you know, good friends in this community and, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to have more of my, practitioner friends get access and and connected with you guys. So, um, that's great to know. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, you know, I, I, so, so moving on, (laughs) we've talked about, uh, the COMT we've talked about the MTHFR, um, and and methylation cycles. Uh, and we've talked about the importance of kind of intentionally kind of building that team. So, uh, why, why is genetic testing? Why would you say that this is to some people, why is it not like mainstream in terms of like in Western medicine, if you will? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, wh- wh- why, well, why would you say that that's that? Cause, cause for me, in my opinion, it would, it it takes getting connected to an alternative or a holistic or functional med practitioner to get the level of guidance and expertise around customization around the genetics, Mm -hmm. or it takes the internal drive to like hack your own health to really go about finding this. So why is it not more out there?
2: You know, it's, it's in its infancy. And I mean, only five, six years ago did conferences even start coming up with these ideas. Um, And the research is brand new. You don't have it being taught in school. Yet I think one of the few is like um, Cornell University and uh, University of North Carolina, where they actually have programs in nutrigenomics. But for the most part, it's not at the university level yet, mainstream, and therefore it's not in the medical schools. And so this is—it's it, like learning another language. I mean, it's um, it's fairly complex at first, and then it starts to really come together and starts to make sense. And for the people who take the time to kind of sit down with it, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the technology is in its infancy in terms of how we are, are you know, using SNP probes and what these variants mean and, um, you know, the different types of sequencing that's being done. It's going to take a while. It's like when you go back to the beginning of, uh, of Apple computers, I mean, you look at their beginning models and what they have now. And I think we're going to see something similar with genetics where it's like, yeah, we're in the beginning, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep pushing because what we're going to have later on is going to be Hello, listeners
0: of the Elevate Your State Show. TJ here with a quick little station identification commercial break. Uh, First off, I hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. I'll make this brief and to the point. I'm excited to share that all of the work that we're doing within Elevate Your State is brought to you by a book and a project that I've been working on for the last four years called The Art of Health Hacking. So the book, The Art of Health Hacking, is available over on healthhackerbook.com. And it's all about merging self-care with sustainable high performance, profiling the innovation in healthcare, and how to really take your health into your own hands uh, and optimize your health from the inside out. This book is going to show you what it's all about, my friends. So again, healthhackerbook.com. If that resonates with you. There is free shipping on the book. You buy the book, I pay for shipping. And uh, anyways, hope you enjoy the rest of today's show, my friends. You are now free to to elevate your state.
1: We've gone into two specific genes here. I'm ready to go into another one that I know is near and dear to my heart, personally. And I know a lot of other people um, that have family, that have connections with, I would say, both heart disease and Alzheimer's. Um, the gene that, uh, is, I believe known as the APOE gene. Is that correct? Uh, let's get into the, the mm-hmm. APOE gene, uh, in terms of, um, like what is it and why is it important for people to understand that specific gene in terms of their overall, uh, health and longevity?
2: Sure. The so the APOE gene is connected to uh, you know basically neural repair, cholesterol homeostasis, um, the maintenance of the brain, and um, the E four. It's they're categorized into the different genotypes with two genes. So it could be you know a two two, a two three, a three three, a three four, a four four, for example. And the four, four, eight different
1: possibilities.
2: There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of different possibilities. A lot of these other ones are much more rare. Um, You'll see a lot of three, three, for example, that's much more common. Uh, Maybe even two, three. That's me. (laughs) Uh, And then four, four is the, you know, the least common and is correlated as the highest connection to, you know, risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. How much studies are done on that? Where are we at on that? Quite a few have been done on APOE. Um, there's definitely a lot of research on it. In terms of understanding it um, and how to influence it, You know, that's where we're starting to emerge. And it's, again, one of those, like, in the beginning, we're told we have this. People thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get Alzheimer's. Now we're looking at it we're like, no, it doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's. Understand how it works and how you're going to influence it. And so with, with APOE, it is the E4-E4 is that highest risk genotype. But it is also connected to the hunter-gatherer era. It's one of the oldest ones. And so what we're seeing is, that's why it's not that common anymore. 3-3 three, three is connected to the agricultural time period. That's why you see more of that. Um, but the 4-4 four, four is a hunter-gatherer time. And so it's a trade-off gene. It's, there may be less maintenance and repair to the brain, but it also was selected because you had less chance of infection early in life, less chance of miscarriage, stronger bones, um, all of these things that were much more important early in life to survive. Um, And that was the trade-off of that. And so what we can do, though, is look at that and be like, okay, if this is a hunter-gatherer genotype, let's understand what benefits and what sensitivities would kind of come with that. And so I think it would be, and this is what some research is showing too, higher fasting times, um, giving you more time for repair. Higher um, fasting times? Oh, sorry, longer fasting times, not higher. Longer the, fasting times.
1: Your ability to fast
2: longer, um, it, like not the, eating food? Yeah, the benefit that comes from fasting, the repair mechanisms that are in place, there's probably going to be more important. And in a hunter-gatherer time period, there are going to be longer fasting times. Right, good point. Um, and then also, okay, the type of fat. Um, there wouldn't have been any dairy during that time. So that saturated fat from dairy probably should be avoided. There's probably a higher sensitivity there. Um, you also have, uh, research that's shown that five days a week, 30 minutes of aerobic exercise essentially almost eliminated the E4 risk completely.
1: And five so days a week of aerobic exercise for 30 minutes for 30 minutes.
2: Yeah. I was, uh, attended, a. Uh, yeah, a lecture at Stanford where this was being presented. and they were people that that they they pretty much eliminated their risk um, and compared to the general population. And so you think of, again, hunter gatherers would have had a ton, sorry about that, a ton of aerobic exercise, a ton of of hiking and running and swimming. Um, and it makes a lot of sense, right? So understand those needs. Um, another thing would be, um, polyphenols lots of berries those are going to be unbelievably beneficial um, omega-3s lots of fish um, so it all starts to make sense choline is another one the um, the women who had the e4e4 E4 genotype they tend to be much more sensitive to the men to things like oxidative stress and hormonal changes um, they found that those who were in polluted cities for example the females uh, with APOE4, E4 E4, um, had a much higher risk of dementia um, due to the oxidative stress of pollution, of air pollution. And again, makes some sense. They're not equipped to really balance out that oxidative stress.
1: Interesting. Wow. So this is the the 4-4. And if you're listening to this, and and so as uh, Alex alluded to, the APOE gene uh, tells you it, it's the gene that I think you said is responsible for the uh, the the maintenance and metabolism of the brain a- and its use with cholesterol.
2: Yeah, cholesterol, homeostasis, neural repair. Um, right. else, yeah.
1: and, and so cholesterol can get a lot of bad rap. But if you're listening to this, please realize how essential cholesterol is. And I'm wondering, Alex, if you can talk about cholesterol for a second and its role in uh, brain health. And then also tie it in specifically to the APOE gene, because you mentioned the saturated fat example in the 4-4 mm-hmm. that this is the more rare, older hunt- hunter-gatherer genetic uh, variation. And so they may not have had access to the saturated fats that we do now. Um, is that because the, the 4-4, like other studies that show that the four four doesn't metabolize, um, cholesterol or specifically saturated fat as well.
2: Yeah. It's a, the, the, hypothesis from what I've seen so far is that there, there may be hyper responders and that may be in terms of cholesterol and maybe in terms of, of blood glucose too, because, um, there is a very strong connection to high glucose levels, high A1C, and Alzheimer's disease. They've called it type 3 diabetes for that reason. And another reason I think, again, fasting becomes really important, um, low glycemic diet, dairy can be high in the insulin index. You have to be much more careful with those glucose levels with the E4, E4 genotype. Um, Again, makes a ton of sense, you know, coming from that time period. They're going to be more sensitive to grains, more sensitive to dairy, more sensitive to sugar. Um, Also... Something I didn't mention is also think of, of, uh, of um, concussions. You know, if your head injuries are going to be much more of a problem for that E4-E4 genotype because of that lack of uh, um, efficient repair.
1: Mm, interesting. And that's for polyphenols, omega-3s, and overall approach to nutrition, avoiding too many sugars and too much saturated fat mm-hmm. for the 4-4. Okay, so right. now let's move on to the... Um, so, so basically, just because you have the 4-4, four, four, if that is you, um, there are pros and cons to it. Don't write your ship off as being, you know, bad genes. Like you're going to have, a, uh, you know, like you said, more resiliency and better approach when you're younger, but you'll kind of need to hack it on the back end in terms of avoiding these sugars and the saturated fats, getting 5 so maybe we can link to that lecture at Stanford as well that you mentioned the yeah. five times per week of aerobic exercise. Do you, do you have a link True. for that?
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's actually, I believe I linked it on the blog article that I talked cool. about for genetic and exercise performance. So we'll find testing.
1: that. Yeah. Awesome. And so that's the, um, that's the four, four. Now the, the other ones, the, the, the threes and the twos. So mm-hmm. let's go to, let's go to the three next.
2: Okay, uh, so the three four is still considered to be um, relevant. I don't think it has as strong of an impact as the four four, but I think it's something that probably should be on people's radar, and we're going to start reporting on that one, just so people have the research. Um, and then the three three, you know, is, is, is comes from more of the agricultural time period. Um, the risk factor there really isn't, I wouldn't say elevated. Um, whereas the two, two is considered to be actually more protective. I haven't seen that one, but it's not very common. Um, but I don't think, yeah, there's, there's really, a, in terms of a, a risk of thinking, does this increase my risk? It's more about, do I have Alzheimer's dementia in my family? That's the first thing you should look at. Right. Okay. So let's take me, me for example. I'm the three, three, mm-hmm. and I have
1: a great grandmother, uh, that had Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe some dementia here and there and other aspects of the family. But she, I believe she was the only one that was specifically diagnosed with mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. So okay. My mom's, my mom's grandma. So um, that happened. <laughs> so just to throw that out there. Um, uh, so that's important to take into account.
2: It is. And it's important to take into account too that two thirds of Alzheimer's patients are women. Mm. it's more common in females. So there, I think there's an estrogen connection. There's, uh, I think there's a choline connection. Do you think this, or is there other studies on this that show? Uh, There's studies that, so what they, they, they don't know for sure why women are higher. That's the researchers haven't really come to a conclusion. My opinion is that there has to be some hormonal connection and a series of things that are caused causing this. It could be very low estrogen. It could be choline deficiency, medications that are blocking acetylcholine over a long period of time because those have been linked to cognitive decline Um, and high oxidative stress. I think a combination of those things would make sense um, for there to be a higher risk there.
1: Interesting. So two thirds of Alzheimer's, uh, those with Alzheimer's are women. I did not know that. It's mm-hmm. a new fun fact or a, a sad fact, but it's it's a fact. However, you want to relate to it, it it, and we'll find a stat that shows that fact, and we'll link that as well in the show notes. Uh, so there could be multiple different reasons for that, um, but there has has to be some reason, and and mm-hmm. so you're hypothesizing. Your opinion is that these reasons of like higher oxidative stress, like choline deficiency, low estrogen, medications blocking, like all of these different cofactors, if you will, are stacking on top of each other and influencing uh, perhaps uh, a greater cause of Alzheimer's. So, so the, the, the three, three, um, so let's talk about the, so in terms of metabolizing cholesterol and like the saturated fat specifically, because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are interested, yes, in knowing the APOE in terms of, you know, hacking their Alzheimer's risk, but also in terms of, optimizing cardiovascular health, uh, you know, for, uh, overall like healthy cholesterol levels and beyond just total and HDL and LDL, I'm specifically talking about oxidative, uh, LDL like particles, ApoB, uh, LP little a, these are all different, uh, aspects beyond Western medicine's approach of measuring cholesterol that are, in my experience are clinically relevant and important. Would you agree? If so, let's talk a little bit about that as it relates to like the 3-3 and the the 2-2.
2: Yeah, so um, do you use the VAP test? Is that one that you use? Tell me about that, no. Uh, In terms of looking at like um, LDL oxidation, um, small dense, large and fluffy, kind of understanding where-
1: Yes. Is that the technology that, that breaks that down then?
2: The test that's called, it's usually, yeah, the VAP test.
1: Got it. I mean, I've Um, gone through like SpectraCell, wellness effects, these companies that provide this testing.
2: Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I've seen when I look at the people who have the E4, E4 and then looking at that, um, that profile, there does seem to be a correlation between the two when you start seeing like a, 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 more negative cholesterol profile, looking at all those different variants of um you know ldlc and
1: lpa and so this is when it's important to really um cross-reference advanced blood testing with Mm -hmm. your genetics
2: it is absolutely it's always important because it's it's that's what's giving you real-time information so what a common misconception with genetics is that if you take a test once and then you take it again later it's going to be different and it's not it's the same from birth on it's a blueprint. And the blood work is what's giving you that real-time feedback when you make changes. Um, until we have some kind of advanced epigenetic test in the future, this is the best way to do it. <clears throat> Got it. Um, but um, So in- for me, I, I, I experimented with
1: keto mm-hmm. and ketogenic, for those that are listening, high fat, low carb, super low carb, moderate protein typically it's hard to do, but it's totally possible to do high fat without doing high saturated fat, but it's a little bit more difficult and maybe not as tasty. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I love my butter and bacon and MCT oil just as much as the next guy. Um, So I was having a fair amount of saturated fat and my LDL numbers were going up, not just total, but like you know, particle size, fluffiness, LP little a, ApoB. I had some inflammation going on in my, my LDL cholesterol and I was the 3-3. So the way I understood it was that 3-3 suggests that you do so-so with saturated fat and that if you correlate that with advanced blood testing, that shows you have elevated inflammatory LDL going on that it might be important to back off those saturated fats, as well as add in some anti-inflammatories, uh, antioxidants. Um, is that like, I haven't done a clear, um, before and after yet on myself to, to really test that out. I'm going to be doing that soon, but I'm curious, um, from what you've seen is, uh, are those Protocols, you know, uh, would that be, uh, you know, would that make sense to to follow a protocol like that if you fall in that to that category?
2: Yeah, I would. Um, I'd recommend looking at a lot more fat metabolism genes to get a better understanding of that ratio. Oh, interesting, uh, because there's a lot involved. Um, there are genes that are con- you know connected to um, certain types of saturated fat. If you're going to likely have a uh, higher fasting glucose. On a high saturated fat diet, if um, it's going to affect um, your ability to feel full, actually, there's actually a gene connected to when you eat more saturated fat, you actually end up eating more food in general. It doesn't turn that switch off. Um, That's one. So another one, is connected to ghrelin levels and leptin. Uh, and then you, you have one connected to fasting them. So ketone body production, there's actually a gene connected to that. And so there, um, are, are these genes that you break down? This is once we report? test.
1: Yeah. So we what test It's called, which ones are those?
2: Um, so, uh, it's PPI, AR alpha is a, um, ketosis ketone body production gene, uh, ACSL one is connected to uh, fasting glucose uh, and saturated fat. And ApoA2, not ApoE, but ApoA2 is connected to that um, over a 22 gram of saturated fat intake they found in research, people started eating more food and gaining more weight. Um, And so I kind of figured out by looking at all the food diaries that they were looking at that it really had to do with the amount of dairy they were, they were uh, taking in per day. They cut that down and you eat eggs, you eat red meat, um, <clears throat> your saturated fat's not gonna get as high as you think it is, but as soon as you include dairy, it gets high pretty fast. Oh. Um, and then coconut oil is seems to be an exception to the rule for some people. Um, Cause it doesn't seem to affect these genes the same way for one reason or another. But and when you see this kind of variation with how people respond to coconut oil, that might be why.
1: What in terms of they respond well
2: to it? You mean? Yeah. To their profile. Like what did, what you saw on your blood work? Sometimes people see that with high amounts of coconut oil and they're like, what, what's going on here? I thought this was fine. And that there's gotta be some kind of individual metabolic response to it. Got it. So, so
1: dairy seems to affect more than other saturated fats. Mm -hmm. So dairy, your milks, your cheeses, your butter, uh, would butter, would you put butter in the same category?
2: Yeah, I put it in the same category.
1: Um, And then coconut coconut oil. Oh, and you put ghee in the same category too, right?
2: Um, Ghee would be in the same category. Yeah. But coconut oil you're saying is different or no, that can also have it it seems to be different in terms of the research and how it affects the genes. Like a lot of them that I found, coconut oil does not seem to influence the genes the same way, the enzymes the same way as dairy would. However, I know from anecdotal reports and seeing it myself, coconut oil does not always is not always a hundred percent uh, you know, positive fat for people, depending on your blood work. Sometimes it still right. spikes. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. And, and that goes for MCT oil as well, which is, you know, derived from coconuts and or palm kernel. Awesome. (laughs) Wow. This is great. Okay. So there's three other genes to look at besides just the standard APOE in terms of how well you metabolize saturated fat. You've got the, um,
2: AR-alpha, the ketone one? So PPA-AR-alpha, uh, ACSL1, ACSL-1, APO-A2. Another one um, that I, I briefly talked about with ghrelin and leptin is called FTO. FTO is the hormone
1: one in terms of the ghrelin and leptin. Like if you eat saturated fat, that might cause you to eat just overall more calories in general.
2: Um, so that one was APO-A2. Um, but FTO, yeah, it has to do with those, those hunger levels, which could lead to... You know, eating too much or weight gain as well. They're kind of in a similar category. I haven't found the FTO to be as strongly correlated to people that are having trouble with their weight.
1: Gotcha. Well, those—that's good to know. I'm I'm excited to um to dive into this. So here's a question: So if someone has done their 23andMe raw data, um, like for me, I did it like three years ago, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Can I? use that or share that with you guys to have you spit out a report to tell me all of these things?
2: Um, So before August, 2017, which your file would be, we can run it through our, our, our legacy, as we call it software program, which is a different format. It does not contain all the genes that our nutrition genome report has from our lab. um, And it is no longer updated. If you just wanted to get like a base amount of genes more than you'd get from genetic genie, for example, um, that one is $99 and you can do that. Uh, A lot of people opt for the other one because we always are adding new genes and new research and that's all free. Um, every time we make an addition and you, you're essentially signed up with us for life on that. Um, so that's another reason people kind of go for the other one.
1: And the other one, so the $99 is if you've already done your raw data with, 23 me prior to that date august mm-hmm. of 2017 that's 99 and then the other option to get all your actual data and contribute your saliva to nutrition genome what's the cost of that that's 299 299 awesome um, yeah and for the record of everyone listening to this um, nutrition genome they are I, my, a newest uh, company a testing company that i'm working with, with my clients. So, you know, I mentioned before we hit record, Alex said, I specialize in working directly with high performing men on optimizing and customizing their lifestyle for uh, better health, energy, and performance. And so I have a partnership with a naturopathic doctor, shout out to her, Dr. Catherine Zagoni, uh, who, you know, we work together to analyze and um, we do a consult to Understand and analyze, and put a game plan together based on advanced blood testing and other testing as well, but but also specifically genetic testing. So we just had the first consult with our client, reviewing uh, and going through the nutrition genome report. And I got to say, man, I give you a shout out. It's it's a uh, really powerful what you guys have built, and and kudos to you in terms of the breadth and focus uh, and the depth that you you go in terms of providing this guidance and defense and yeah, of course it's, it's um, it's exciting to see where you guys are at and where you guys are headed. Uh, and I'm excited to support more men with getting access to this. So if you are interested in optimizing and understanding more about what's going on inside of your body and your blueprint specifically around your genes, uh, and you're a man, and you're interested in working and, and getting into this. Let me know. And if you're not a man, you can still definitely uh, work with Nutrition Genome. Uh, again, we'll have it linked in the show notes. It's NutritionGenome.com. Maybe if you're a woman listening to this, maybe you know of some men uh, in your life that would be interested in this. And I, I love the breath of focus. That this is the future right here. This is the customization that we really need to have the confidence and the clarity uh to know that we are that we, you know we we have the understanding and then we can move from there to take like clear action uh and then like you said it comes down to experimenting and and you only need to run your genetics once 299 and after that yeah uh, you correlate your advanced blood work with different lifestyle changes with proper guidance with your team so um that's what it is about, my friends. We've talked a lot about uh, a lot of genes so far, a lot of important genes. Are there any other really important genes that you would want to highlight right now for our listeners to be aware of?
2: Yeah, I don't think I mentioned the gene connected to choline, um, which is PEMT. i I'm not sure if I actually mentioned the gene by name. Um, but that has to do with uh, phosphatidylcholine production, which is what increases acetylcholine, and acetylcholine is connected to memory. There are variations in this that really increase the need for choline, and why I think this one is a big one is not only is it the biggest methyl donor, when we talked about methylation, but it is what essentially uh, vanished from our plate for decades. So when you look at foods that were highest in choline, you look at eggs, again, was you know the saturated fat villain, cholesterol villain. Um, you look at organ meats, Within a couple generations, those disappeared. You used to have liver once a week. Wild meat, we're not really hunting much anymore as you're gonna have higher levels in wild meat. Um, And then fish eggs are another great source of choline and DHA. So look at those foods. We went to egg whites, we went to chicken breasts. The thighs are the ones that are actually higher in choline in a chicken versus the breast. Um, And we eliminated organ meats and so the choline intake Dropped off, and so when you think of this kind of decline in cognitive function and memory, um, as well as anxiety, as well as sleep issues, we should really be looking at choline. Wow,
1: wow! The P-E-M-T, P E M T: P is in Paul, E is in Edward, M is in Mary, T is in Tom. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is the one. And so, are there? What are the variants look like?
2: Um, So there are two major PEMT genes and a heterozygous or homozygous genotype for either one is going to increase that need for a higher dietary choline intake. And that's again, where it becomes pretty big deal during pregnancy because.
1: So so, sorry to interrupt you. So if either of these two important PEMT or these choline genes have a hetero or a homo, Uh then it's important to focus on increasing nutritional or supplemental choline, choline. Correct. as opposed to the, the, the wild or the normal?
2: Uh, correct. Yeah. And so that, that, produ- yeah, that need is going to be a lot lower for that wild type, um, because your body does produce some of it. But when you have these variants, there, there's this decrease in production, increase in the need from the diet. And uh, there are drugs <laughs> that block acetylcholine which is what we kind of talked about, and that could be anything from antidepressants to anti seizure, antihistamines. Um, all of those block acetylcholine and have been led have been connected to cognitive decline. So when I alluded to that with APOE, those are the ones I'm talking about.
1: Wow! So the microdose of the Wallsier antihistamine I took this morning because my allergies are so crazy and my natural stacks of hacking it weren't working. And as I prepared for this podcast, that's contributing potentially, or there's studies that show that's contributing to memory decline and cognitive function.
2: Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, once here and there, probably not. But right. if no, 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 no. no over time, yeah. Then it, it has. Yeah. Gotcha. So if you are a user <laughs>
1: of, of, uh, and, and, you know, people, there's not a discussion around these points. There's no discussion around, uh, there's not a lot, I should say, in, in our community. You know, all you all we see are these ads on, on our TV and these commercials, you know, advertising for this antidepressant or this antihistamine, all these antibiotics, it's anti this, anti that. And if you are wondering how they can get away with this, <laughs> Just know that you know laws are laws, where we're at right now is where we're at, and that if you really want to understand what's going on behind the scenes, you need to ask the right questions and or find the right people to illuminate these topics. So this is real. This particular gene here is connected with cognitive decline for those that are not getting the choline in and those that are specifically taking antidepressants or, or antihistamines, for instance, which can have a negative impact on your ability to produce choline
2: yeah any drug that says it, it blocks acetylcholine so not all antidepressants but you know certain medications will show that they inhibit it and that's those are the ones that are that are uh, have been found in research to cause these problems
1: well there you go so awesome so the pmt is another one that you guys provide guidance on as well yes. and so uh eggs so dish those egg whites for uh some real eggs uh, if this is the category you may fall in organ organ meats I love that I uh, we've been enjoying bison so I live in Boulder Colorado my partner Amanda and I and we have a grass-fed bison farmer there and recently I just bought this big thing of liver that he sold it was like Super cheap compared to the rest. Uh, so that's another benefit is that these organ meats are are probably not as expensive. Right. Uh, because the demand and supply has changed. We've gone away from the thighs to the breasts. And so the price gone, goes up because demand has gone up. Uh, and these other meats, the organ meats and the thighs, uh, I'm going to start eating the thighs of the chicken breast.
2: Yeah, they're cheaper too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because we'll buy an organic raised rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods as our fast food every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll typically, you know, just um, save the, that dark meat, the thigh meat for my dog, but uh, I'm definitely <laughs> going to have some more of that next time. Is it a statistically yeah. like, like uh significant increase of choline levels in terms <laughs> of like liver, heart, and, and thighs on chicken, et cetera?
2: Yeah, so um, eggs are the highest. And then you liver and heart would be next. Okay. Um, and then you've got, yeah, like chicken thighs, fish eggs, even some nuts and seeds have some choline, not a lot. Sure. Um, but that's kind of the range. And then the wild meat, like the shoulder cuts tend to be higher, uh, in choline as well than other cuts.
1: There you go. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to maybe make up some liver pate of Buffalo liver when I get back home. (laughs) This is exciting. Awesome. So, um, but I've got a couple more questions and then we'll wrap this up. Um, So in terms of uh, nootropics and mental performance, and maybe this is where we're talking about choline uh, or maybe there's other aspects there. Um, What, like, what, what are some tips in terms of, you know, approaching nootropics, which are these, you know, supplement stacks that have ingredients that are combined to, to work to help upgrade how the brain works for focus memory clarity executive function um, Are there some tips in terms of testing related to like nootropics? Um, that you give for people because we have a lot of high performers listening to this.
2: Yeah, no, this is an, uh, um An area that I'm pretty interested in as well uh, along with physical performance, but uh, It really depends on what your goal is too. what are you trying to, to accomplish? Are you trying to get better focus? Are you trying to get right. better memory? Uh, mental endurance, you know, um, it just, it really depends. So to give you an example of caffeine, how caffeine works. This kind of gives you an idea maybe of where you need to focus. So caffeine works by inhibiting GABA and that which increases glutamate. So glutamate is one of the cognitive neurotransmitters. It enhances dopamine signaling. And then the catecholamines in the coffee increase dopamine concentration. So you're getting a dopamine and a glutamate spike, so to speak, which is increasing cognitive ability. Now, if you go too far, you know, you start going the wrong direction, right? So when you go too low or too high, you can't really focus well. And so if if your issue is dopamine, like we talked about, there's ways to increase dopamine through your diet by slowing down that COMT gene. And that may be something some people need to do who have problems focusing. Um, If your issue is memory, look at the choline genes, look at your choline intake, look at your sleep, because acetylcholine is produced during sleep. And the reason people oftentimes get a a big memory boost from a power nap often has to do with that acetylcholine boost. Um, And some people are just not sleeping well. And if you don't sleep well, good luck, Um, you know, being able to to focus. Um, and so I think that's something that could be really utilized. If you know how to optimize your sleep, you're gonna be optimizing your brain more than anything else.
1: 100% because that. that's when we recover
2: and repair. Yeah, and so it, I think of alcohol and how alcohol disrupts REM sleep, right? And you move around a lot more. And so if you're noticing, if you're more sensitive to that, you're gonna have much more of a problem that next day with, with memory and focus and performance. Because REM is when we consolidate our memories. Right, exactly. Um, there's a new book out. It's not as new as, but it's called Why We Sleep. It's an amazing book um, that was
1: recommended recently from the Aura Ring. My buddy at the Aura Ring, um, uh, that and the Power of Win. Mm-hmm. I, so, Why We Sleep. So, we'll link to that book in the show notes. Uh, I love it. Sleep is such an important category for people to focus on. You know, it's easy to get caught up in like optimizing performance and forgetting. <laughs> The power of sleep for optimal performance.
2: Yeah, um, it is yeah, so important. It's extremely important. Um, and I think uh, there's another book uh, called Rest that came out years ago, and I love this book because um, if you're really, you know, serious about understanding the power of naps, the power, or even the power of taking walks, what that does for your memory. Um, he this, this author categorized all of these um, historical figures, whether they're authors, mathematicians, artists, scientists, people who just had these huge volumes of work. And they'd work four hours a day. They often took a nap in the afternoon, and then they'd walk for like hours. And what they do is they'd leave in the middle of a problem. They'd, they'd take a nap on it, or they would walk and let their subconsciously work on it for the rest of the afternoon. The answer would come to them later. And the consistency of this style throughout all these different fields was enough to convince me like this is probably one of the strongest nootropics you can do if you understand how to optimize your sleep.
1: Wow. There you have it. One of the most powerful nootropics. A little cat nap or a walk every now and then. Uh well that that affirms my choice to take my dog out on walks in the mountains when when I need a break and when he's barking at me in the middle of podcast interviews, <laughs> thankfully that's not happening right now, but, uh, I love this. So we'll link that, uh, book rest uh, in the show notes as well. And, Oh, this has just been so great to, to jam with you, Alex, we could go on and on here, but I think
2: we covered, would you say we covered the 80 20 of a lot of the important genes yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can kind of wrap your head around COMT, PEMT, APO, APOE, I mean, those are, those are three big ones to understand and kind of get your foot in the door, you know, get started with this. Start to really understand it and and go slowly because it's a lot at first. But if you really start to dig into it, and this is something that you are fascinated by, you're going to reap the benefits from it.
1: Amen. That's a, such a great tip go slow, don't put the cart in front of the horse, breathe, just because you're not formally trained or an expert in understanding field of genetics. uh, That's okay. Great companies like Nutrition Gmo exist to help you make sense of what's going on with your genes and give guidance and clarity. So uh, this has been awesome. Uh, There's one other gene. Is there a gene related to caffeine metabolism?
2: Yeah, that um, is CYP1A2. And so you could be a, a fast metabolizer, slow metabolizer, again, intermediate. And that can, um, I actually recommend people combine that gene with COMT to understand how they respond to coffee, not isolated caffeine, but coffee. Understand how you're going to, you know, in terms of how much, if at all, um, is going to benefit you. By looking
1: at the variants and mutations that you have, then?
2: Yeah, in COMT. So, I'll give you an example. Yes. Um, say you are a fast metabolizer of caffeine, which means your body goes through it quickly, right? And you have the wild type COMT. You're going to be able to uh, metabolize caffeine and coffee extremely well, and you probably will need more than a few cups to kind of get those benefits, those cognitive benefits. Whereas the other way around, slow metabolizer, intermediate uh, or slow COMT, one cup is probably as far as you should go because then you start having that high circulating caffeine and catecholamines, increasing that anxiety, increasing the problems with sleep, et cetera.
1: Love it. There you have it. And, and you know, a lot of that could be intuitive as well. And that's great to like connect intuition with the genes to like double down and, and Completely double check your facts in terms of how to approach. Um, you know, because I can hypothesize for myself. I believe I'm pretty sensitive to it. Um, but I want to double check and now go back to my genes and look at how those relate. Uh, so if you think you're on the fence uh, in terms of one way or another on either of these genes, my friends, um, don't guess, test. It'll take the guessing out of it. And so we'll have the link for you to get in on. This great test uh, at nutritiongenome.com. We'll have the link, all of the show notes, everything you need to basically synthesize and take action on this episode over at elevateyourstate.co. And so, last but not least, final question for you, Alex What does it mean for you personally in your life to elevate your state? And what are some personal health hacks that you're really personally passionate about in your own lifestyle?
2: <clears throat> oh, that's a really good question. Um, I have, have always been um, extremely uh, into different types of physical exercise. I mean, I, I rock climb, I skate ski, um, <clears throat> I snowboard, you know, I, I do a lot of things and, um, and I love weightlifting as well. And I think I've, at this time of my life, after years of training um, and years of trying to focusing on the stuff, like I understand myself on a level from a genetic standpoint, with exercise, with diet, that feels extremely dialed. Um, it has also allowed me to get away with things that I couldn't before. Like I couldn't handle any coffee um, until probably I don't know like years, a couple of years ago. Um, nor did I drink it at all. But now, like if I want to have it, it doesn't bother me anymore because I understand how to target those enzymes to make them work more efficiently and have it not bother me. The same thing came true with alcohol, even. like I could not have like, beer, it made me feel awful. Um, optimized, again, those genes, understanding it doesn't bother now me. Now you've
1: got me curious. What did you do specifically for each of those?
2: Um, coffee was uh, magnesium intake, was like 500 milligrams of magnesium, and realized that that actually had a huge role. It was the catecholamines in coffee that was bothering me, not caffeine. Um, and that's what was, so if I get like more stressed, I can notice like coffee now does kind of bother me. I'm like, Oh, not a good time for it. Not right now. If I'm relaxed, not a problem. Um, alcohol, it was, or with beer in general, um, because I live in Bend and this is like a huge beer town. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was understanding these high hop, uh, intake, like IPAs. I didn't realize that was what I was having and that really messes up certain enzymes right very high phytoestrogen and uh as long as it was low hop and it was a clean you know unfiltered unpasteurized all of a sudden it was like night and day no problem um so those kind of understand like when you start to get it at that level that's when it starts to get a lot of fun because you're like okay i can change how i'm reacting to things this isn't forever let's understand why
1: a hundred percent i love it yeah i i have a I have a saying that, uh, and a challenge actually, that I'm leading uh, this month called stack your hacks. And if you want to save time and optimize your experience, better results, um, stack your hacks. So stack multiple different changes to whether it's your environment, what you ingest, um, practices, behaviors. Um, and so, being less stressed before consuming caffeine is very important to be in a rested, rested relaxed state, is your example there. You could call that a stack. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, you know, just sourcing higher quality alcohol, as your example there. Uh, the world is our oyster when we have the understanding and knowledge about, um, you know, our genes, yes, and uh, how we can influence them and influence things that we might be sensitive to but yet still enjoy such as coffee you know and such as uh, a beer every now and then so i love it those examples of of how you can you know take your like health and enjoyment to new levels and really hack some of these areas that are challenges for you uh, i appreciate you sharing and it's just been an honor to have you on the show
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me
1: Rock on, Alex. Well, I can't wait to hear how everyone likes us. Again, elevateyourstate.co is where we'll have the show notes. And if you dig this uh, show um, and what Alex and Nutrition Genome are doing, reach out to them, reach out to me, uh, and uh, we can give you guidance and support on um, taking more customized action in your own lifestyle. So thanks again for being on and uh, keep doing the great work in the world that you are. Thank you. You bet.
0: Hello, my friends and fellow health hackers, TJ Anderson here. I wanted to quickly say thank you for joining us today on the Elevate Your State show. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you liked today's episode, you can head on over to elevateyourstate.co. That's elevateyourstate.co. And check out the links and show notes that we have for you from today's episode. And... If you dig what we're doing here, all about merging health hacking for sustainable high performance, you can also check out our other episodes and or leave a quick review over on iTunes. As you can imagine, these reviews on iTunes really mean a lot for the future of this podcast. So I thank you in advance if you do decide to leave a review. Until next time, my friends, signing off from the beautiful mountains of Boulder, Colorado. Cheers to your next level health and performance.